Everybody, holy crap, you made it. OM Glee, you made it. It's the last episode of season one. I cannot believe we've done 22 recaps in a matter of like two weeks. This is insane. And of course, I am not alone. Welcome back to the choir room. I am here with my lovely co host, Matt. How are you today? Don't make it sound that crazy. I think it's been like a little under a month. Uh, two weeks would be insane to, to do 22 episodes, even though it feels like no time has uh, actually existed while we've been doing all of this. But yeah, no, this has gone so, it has gone so fast. I cannot believe that we are already at the end of season one. But I'm just so excited to talk about this episode because it was so emotional, at least for me, probably for you guys as well, because we have somebody else here today. Yes, we are also joined by someone that many of you probably already know who also shares our love and affection for Glee. Welcome to the choir room, Mike Bloom. How are you? I'm doing well. And let me say firsthand that you are very crazy in doing this many podcasts in a short (laughs) amount of time. And when that's coming from me, you know Uh, that's bad. (laughs) Yeah, that was my thought. I was like, uh, when you just said that to us before we started recording, that Mike Bloom is telling us that we're recording too many podcasts at once. That's, That's how you know. Yeah, exactly. It's like when, uh, I don't know, when an alcoholic's like, okay, you might want to take it back there on the drinks, guys, okay? <laughs> like, you're you're putting yourself in a bad place. I mean, I, I, I'm just destroying the glass house that I'm in, though, right? Considering that I'm doing my own rewatch podcast, and that's going once a week, but it's providing almost like three episodes worth of content compared, uh, it, you know, from a time comparison to what you guys are doing. So right. I think we're, we're all in this same boat here. This is just a boat of insanity and adoration of some of our favorite TV shows of all time. Hey, I mean, it is quarantine. We really have a lot of time on our hands, so we are just trying our best to occupy it and, you know, share our love for this show with other people that we know love it. And so, I mean, we're going to continue to be crazy if you, you know, will allow us and uh, be crazy with us. So, yeah. I mean, it only makes sense for you to become slowly more unwound, not only as the (laughs) quarantine increases, but also as the show Glee becomes slowly more unwound. (laughs) Yeah. By the end of this, we're all going to be Brittany S. Pierce sitting in the choir room with our Cheerios uniform on backwards uh, watching this show play out. So, uh, if we're not already there, we are getting very close to Yeah, right. We're going to return to work and be like, yeah, everybody thought that we were in quarantine, but really we spent the entire time lost in the sewers. Yes. And I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> so, um, Mike, so uh, every guest that we've had so far, we sort of, you know, get their little backstory with how they found Glee, you know, who they're kind of feeling throughout the series, who their favorite character is, you know, that kind of thing. So when did you start watching Glee and what made you kind of fall in love with the show? I mean, I was a day oneer, And by day oneer, I mean, like, preview post-American Idol season eight finale uh, one or where they did like a preview of it before the show is actually oh, going wow. to air. Uh, and I remember watching it and really enjoying it. You know, I had checked out some of Ryan Murphy's previous work, namely Nip Tuck beforehand, mm-hmm. but that show was so, I wouldn't say graphic, but I am not a fan of uh, body horror and the, what they did 
every episode pretty much with the surgery was enough to drive me away. Plus, the storylines got pretty ridiculous. Little did I know that capacity was just part of Ryan Murphy's DNA at a yeah. certain point. But <laughs> I, I looked at the show, and you know, this came on in 2009 when I was a sophomore in college. Uh, at that time, I not only had done Chamber Singers and, speaking of regionals, uh, Western regionals, you know, nationally ranked singing competitions throughout my time in high school, but I also had just got into my collegiate a cappella group, which I spent a lot of time in over the course of my college career. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I was high on, on musicalized shows. I hadn't really seen a lot. This was before Smash was to knock down out of the doors or even Zoe's extraordinary playlist for all of you modern musical fans. So I really enjoyed the first episode. I thought it was a nice merging of, like, really fun good especially good i really want to underline because i feel like uh we have seen tv shows do musical episodes before but they were not necessarily recruited to bring on the best singers to do so right felt like a good combination of like okay this has music in it and it has people that are able to sing a little bit even if certain people like Corey monteith took a little bit to ride that (laughs) bike he eventually was pedaling alongside them uh combined with what i thought was some like pretty dark quirky humor as well so I absolutely fell in love with it from first blush. Uh, Helped me make up for the fact that Adam Lambert had lost to Chris Allen in an upset vote in America. Oh my god, yeah. Uh, Which is crazy considering that Adam Lambert is going to become like a temporary piece of the Glee tapestry coming up down the line in the the show. Uh, But, you know, then that fall kept on watching. I've seen every episode. I will say that for me, uh, the first 13 episodes... uh, you know, basically through that little winter yachtis, which was supposed to be the original season one, is peakly to me. Not to besmirch this second half of season one too, too much, uh, but I will say, especially comparing like this episode with the fall finale, I think it's a little bit of a come down, but I still liked a lot of the stuff that was going on in the early seasons. And look, I am a fan of when TV shows make questionable choices and go completely off the rails because it is like a car crash you cannot look (laughs) away from. And I will fully admit that, like, once we started getting into, like, the latter half seasons four, five, and six, the choices this show made confound my mind to the point where I'm still using them as examples in other podcasts. Like, I have always kept in my back pocket the example of the Blaine puppet hallucination and if yes. you haven't watched glee those three <laughs> words make no sense to you don't worry you'll find out in due time but like those moments when i look at season one and i look at like what what world is going to allow for that it, it truly boggles the mind but that being said it still did produce some really fun talent of course i was a diehard glee project fan for all yes for a see well. matt see I'm waiting for you to send the links, and then I will watch every second of it because I, you know I can't find it. <laughs> it's uh, You know what? It's an interesting show. Like There are some good components to it. It is a little schlocky of like that you have to feel the emotion behind this song mm-hmm. when like mm-hmm. some of the people when you watch on Glee it isn't necessarily about like feeling the emotion, you know? And also uh, they, they were very clearly... I wouldn't say they were. They were definitely casting a wide net in terms of like bringing people in with different stories. But that being said, they also kind of tokenized people a little mm-hmm. bit to a certain extent, which mm-hmm. made things a little weird. Especially when the people that they ended up bringing on were wholeheartedly like white boys, uh, which yeah. just sort of blended into the, the background of the entire show. But it did get us, you know, the great Alex Newell, who is also on Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. It brought us Tony yes. winner Ali Stroker. So I mean, I can't complain too much. It was a perfect thing to fill the time. So yeah, I mean, I. 
uh, am a Gleek, was a Gleek, like, warts and all. And these are some pretty weird-ass warts. Uh, <laughs> in terms of favorite characters, God, that is so tough because they're all so freaking weird. Uh, I guess, you know, we're not going to be talking about him at all. I guess I ended up really liking Blaine. You know, I found Darren Chris through a very Potter musical first. Uh, mm-hmm. And so to hear he was going to be mm-hmm. on this, I'm like, oh, that's cool. And he seemed to, you know, even though he started out a relatively normal character and got more quirks to him, I'd still say he relatively stayed the course in terms of characterization as opposed to all these other whack-ass directions that some of these characters went in. I thought Sam was also, I guess I was going for more so like, who are the relatively normal people? Who are the anchors that I can sort of cling to yeah. in this stormy <laughs> sea of characterization? And those are the ones that I sort of rooted for and the Glee Project people because they those were sort of like the underdogs for me and that they were the most unpolished. Like they were clearly not movie stars or TV actors who had come in to do this. These were kids who just, you know, liked to sing and happened to get noticed for being it. So that mm-hmm. in a very long rambling roundabout way of saying things, uh, that has been... My history of Glee. That's what you missed on Glee. Yes, I've, I, I think we can pencil you in now for the puppet episode uh, whenever we get to that, probably next week. So uh, hope you're ready to come what back. What does the fox say with puppets? <laughs> I know it was a uh, yeah, and then the fact that they had to like explain it away in the way that they did at the end, I was like, okay, okay, yeah. It was a, Glee really does sort of go off in a careening uh, fashion and. You're right. It's part of the charm of the show, and it's sort of became the blueprint for, blueprint for like a, this large advent of musical TV shows that came after. Because we really didn't see a lot of them before Glee, and then once Glee came, then we did get Smash. We got Crazy Ex Girlfriend. Now we have Extraordinary Playlist. So it's it's a nice little kickoff to uh, a giant array of uh, musical TV that I'm now able to consume. So I guess I will always thank Glee for that, even if it didn't have the strongest. Of endings, but I still am a big proponent of the latter half of season five. But that is a podcast for mm. another day. But yeah, I'm, we- I'm, 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 I'm fine with like season six as well, except for the weird episode where spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Uh, remember when Sue trapped Kurt and Blaine in an elevator and then yes. set up a jigsaw like dummy the to hurt pedal locker. a tricycle in? Yes. yes. <laughs> That, it just gets so wild. But I mean, to tie that all into what we're doing here today, it is such a difference from from what happens here in season one, where we are just in such a pure territory of mm-hmm. our 12 Glee Club New Direction members, uh, Will and Sue, and you know, even the, the stuff with Terry and Emma and, and all of that. It's just like, this is the last time here in this episode that we are just going to have it be pure season one of Glee before all of these kind of new characters and changes and experiences experimentation with different kind of episodes like that is going to obviously come in soon so having this close it's like it's so hard to rank this season along with the other ones just because it is like it's got i mean that's season one of any show uh to be fair that you always have such a hard time ranking it to like the things that come after it but uh they i you know we'll get into it how they close the book on this first chapter it's it's a lot yeah the question that i have i mean something that i always found so interesting to Glee's sort of change in tone, which comes very much in season two, specifically with like the Kurt and Karofsky of it all, is that, to be honest, I think that Ryan Murphy and Brad Falchuk finding out how important this show was to Mm -hmm. people demonstrably changed the way they approached the show, right? Because I think they were looking at it sort of like an election uh, form, the the Jason Reitman film of like, hey, we're going to make like a quirky comedy about high school and we don't really care who watches it. But I think once they felt that people were inspired by them that's when it becomes a little bit more for lack of a better term like after school special where it's like let's do the drinking episode the theme of the week yeah exactly and that's when things maybe get a little 
odder when it comes to incorporating themes in, but I think that's probably one of the most distinctive tonal shifts where it feels like they they want to make Glee an important show. And I mean, I remember uh, Chris Colfer, I think, won the Golden Globe for he Glee did. in season two, which was, I think, reflective of the paradigms they were representing. But even to Matt's point, even comparing like this to those arcs in season two feels like night and day because while this does feel dramatic, the stakes are more so baked into like the Glee Club itself and less so about, with the exception of Quinn, like the pervading problems that are facing these people. We're not having sure. like a, a Mar- uh, spoiler alert, a Marley Rose collapsing during Gugnam style at, at regionals because right. of her eating disorder. Yeah, like they were, they, I mean, I think we talked about it a little bit before um, in a past episode about how this show, they really didn't even know if they were going to get picked up after the first half of the season. And then when they did, you know, of course, you know, they still had that, you know, fresh uh, energy when it came to how they were going to approach some of these storylines. And yeah, in a lot of ways, Glee is just like any other high school drama with the pregnancy storylines and stuff like that. But it was so weird and quirky because they were trying to approach it from this musical angle and now when it yeah you're right when when season two did come along it did sort of become oh people there's so many more eyes on us now people really really love the music so also we have to let's try and incorporate more uh top 40 hits and let's try and you know be a, a a viral sensation every single time and that really did change how some of these characters were written and how some of them became caricatures of themselves essentially but mm. it was no, still a, i was that, along for the ride <laughs> that, that's a great point though because i feel like uh with the exception of maybe season five when they do like the spoiler alert spoiler alert uh <laughs> when when they, when they do like the finn dedicated i think it was like a u2 uh set you know they do journey uh new directions does but i feel like after that they're gonna include at least one top 40 song in every set that they do and right i I mean, even looking through the this first season, yeah, they rely much more. I mean, you're just coming off an episode called Funk, where it's like all disco songs. So yeah, mm-hmm. they were not necessarily about tapping into the vein of what was in you know the zeitgeist as of 2010. Yep, yep. But yeah, that's uh, that, thank you for that, Mike. It was a nice little. Uh, I, I I appreciate all of your thoughts so far on how um, you've come to know the show and how you've uh, been viewing it as it progresses. I think that we sort of agree on a lot of things there. There's a, there's a lot to talk about with this show, and you know mm-hmm. we're going to get into a lot of it as time goes on here. But uh, it's I mean this is obviously before like the days of podcasting came in. If this was happening while RHAP existed and post show recaps, I'm sure somebody would have convinced Rob to get a post show recap started on Glee uh, every week, even though this is not <laughs> no, the traditional style. No, 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 style. I don't think anyone's making Rob Sesternino watch Glee. <laughs> not no, 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 not him. Like uh, just have a show on post-show recaps with other people covering it. Mm. Rob would never watch this. Uh, that's the whole reason we're here. He wouldn't let it happen on Ari, on Robin Akivanita <laughs> podcast. But uh, no, I just mean that like, you know, obviously there was like no podcast coverage about this at the time. So it's like, so there's so much to talk about uh, looking back on it because where we didn't talk about all this at the time. So, um, and also one point that was made earlier, I think Amon was talking about how season, uh, season one, episode 13 is obviously like they didn't know if they were getting picked up or not. Uh, I think that was the same case going into this episode that they didn't know if they were getting a season two which i'm pretty sure is also why they ended up losing here at section uh regionals they were in in every single world you can imagine that the glee club winning regionals is how you end this new season of a show it's like celebrate the end where everything comes together and everybody's all happy but the way that they lose here gives a whole lot of push into season two being even bigger and even better so mm-hmm. um i'm like 100 positive that that was the case i've heard it a million different ways yeah. and times so 
I mean, it yeah. would be interesting, and I guess Nationals would have been the next step if they were surprisingly renewed for a season two. I was also a bit surprised. I don't know. Maybe I'm used to season finales in ensemble-based shows being about, like, everyone gets a storyline. But mm-hmm. I was surprised how, I wouldn't say paltry, but, like, lean it was on storylines around the kids. I know you guys have talked about how season one is Will's story, and you really feel it in this episode, considering 12 people sing to him about how much they love him yeah. for the second time in this season. Uh, but I guess, you know, when you have a central event to focus yourself around, I don't know, this felt like less of, like, a big event than, like, you know, maybe other seasons would be like a big two-hour episode where, yeah, they go to regionals, mm-hmm. but then all this crazy drama happens. This seemed very, very pared down with the exception of, of Quinn giving birth as to like, nope, everyone has their eyes focused on regionals and there's not going to be any drama outside of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the whole uh, the reshuffling that we talked about with, you know, in terms of like what was going to be the penultimate episode, I really think that that had a lot of effects on how they were going to go ahead and finish out the stories because, of the, because you know, some some things something's got flipped around. Something's got taken out, and I, yeah, I agree that this finale episode did seem like it was like okay, straight to section or straight to regionals, and let's just finish this out, and let's just yeah, let's just be done. But yeah, I guess we can. I guess we can talk about it. Y'all ready? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, uh, we probably should eventually. <laughs> All right, so um, I guess we're going to start off with Sue coming in hot off of her sixth consecutive national cheerleading championship. And now, because of this, because of this newfound uh, celebrity, I guess, she has been named as one of the celebrity judges for regionals, and she has no problem in letting that slide to, uh, to Will um, as uh, he's walking through the hallway. And, of course, what is Will going to do? He's going to go and tattletale to Principal Figgins Mom. once again. <laughs> like, you need to do something about this. This is ridiculous. How can you allow this to happen? And once again, like, I don't know why you keep going to Figgins, because when has it ever worked? When? Yeah, I mean, should he, shouldn't he be, like, just completely go to a school board or something? Though I guess maybe uh, he feels that Sue has the school board in the pocket. I mean, I, I know that uh, she has Figgins in the pocket for a completely different reason as we... Uh, once again, allude to the sexual photos in this episode. But you can imagine, like, if he's having trouble with Figgins, just go one step above him. And then maybe you could bring down Figgins and sort of kill two birds with one stone. Right. Yeah, there should be, like, a show choir panel uh, or, like, a board of, of people that are in charge of the actual competitions. I don't think Figgins has anything to do with this. He wants absolutely nothing to do with the Glee Club at all. He's more than ready to get rid of them the second that they don't place at regionals here. Uh, so I don't know why you're complaining to this guy. He's not going to do anything for well, you. But. And I'm pretty sure there is one, though, right? Because weren't they the group that said, like, oh, Will, you can't, you know, you, you slept on the mattress. mattress. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. So there there definitely is a group of people that he should be going to. But, of course, all anger just comes out to Figgins. And uh, Sue is, uh, like, I mean, Sue, Sue is always going to uh, be trying to take down the new directions. But uh, it's it's fun to watch this play out over the episode. I mean, he literally could have gone to the to the National Choir Show Board because – or National <laughs> Show Choir Board because, I mean, he literally has evidence that she has tampered with the competitions before. Just go on down to Jane Addams Academy, get Miss Hitchens, get the, uh, the deaf guy, and be like, look, remember how she helped you guys cheat against us? Can you please testify against her so that she cannot do this to us again? But, you know, common sense just does not, like, Will just can only go to Figgins and that's it. That's just, that's just his MO, I guess. I mean, you, like, this guy has been getting blackmailed for, like, an, the duration of an entire pregnancy. And you thought that he was going to, like, be able to help you now? But okay. All right. Whatever. Mm-hmm. So we get a flashback uh, of Quinn and Puck at the beginning of this season as they're about to do the nasty after getting uh, drunk on some wine coolers. 
Um, and Quinn is like telling him like I'm the the captain of the Sel- the to be club. I can't be doing this. And like, what about uh, what about Finn? Like, aren't you guys best friends? And like all this stuff. But she eventually, you know, concedes and they get it on. And like she's getting turned on by him. <laughs> Him saying to her that she's not fat, which I guess is like a big turn on for her. And that's a bit of a flashback that Quinn is having as she and the rest of the New Directions are at Will's apartment um, for the regional set list nomination pizza party. I, I was confused at first uh, just because maybe I like misremembered the episode. I'm like, are we doing like a lost thing where they keep flashing back to what they were like? Little did we know that they're going to do that much, much later down the line. But yeah. I, I, I was very unsure. It's like, okay, why are we seeing this? And for one time only. But I guess since this is a big Quinn episode and arguably the best Quinn storyline that she's going to get in her time on Glee. Mm-hmm. It's like, let, let Diana Agron like do what she wants to do. Have her make out with a guy, you know, twice her age in a cheerleader's uniform. <laughs> yeah. She, uh, this, this scene is, is awesome. Not in like, that sounds so weird to say watching two 16 year olds do it on a TV show is awesome. Uh, well, my point being that we don't see like that. They're actually, like, we never get much Quinn and Puck before finding out that yes, uh, they made a baby in, this time that we just obviously have no idea about we just get told about it um so just to like go back and kind of see for real that this happened even though like we know it's true it's like we heard so many lies from so many different people early on in the season it's like quinn could have been even lying to this point uh so to just kind of have confirmation that that's not the case that it actually is puck's baby that we're about to be meeting in a few minutes is uh is is comforting but as you mentioned as uh we go to will's house i as you can imagine aman uh and getting so fed up all season long with the kids being at Will's house. It's not appropriate. It should not be happening. And of course we go right into the scene. On a dark and stormy day too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> where, where Quinn Fabre is washing dishes and you know that kitchen. I recognize it right away. She is at Will's house and I'm like, what could they possibly be doing here? And then the camera pans to the entire group there and I just could not, I could not take it. Yeah, it's so weird that this Principal Figgins like comes down on these small things that the Clay Club's doing in school but like, hey, underage kids, you want to go hang out with your teacher fine by me i will turn the other cheek to that you go ahead and have fun the whole club too like it's it's insane (laughs) but um not much gets done at this party in terms of set list nominations because all of the kids are distraught uh britney and santana have essentially told them all that what sue told them and that she is going to crush them at regionals she's going to cheat the entire time she's not going to give them any kind of grace you know which pretty much chops any of their chances of winning after all this time, the entire school year of, you know, getting bullied, but still persevering and learning how to sing, learning how to dance, learning how to harmonize. All that hard work is just going to go right down the drain um, through no faults of their own. And it's just really hard for them to really come to terms with that. Uh, we get a little, a little moment with Tina where she's saying, you know, I before this club, I didn't really have any friends and now I have all of you. And it just sucks that I'm not going to have that anymore. And Mercedes is saying, you know, uh, Santana and Puck aren't even going to acknowledge me once this is all over, to which Puck says she has a point, which I'm just like, so really all of the stuff that you've learned, you're just willing to throw it away once the club goes uh, goes under? It's just it's once, insane. Once it's gone, they're going to have to go back to what they know. They uh, Puck will be back on the basketball team, and Quinn eventually will basketball have her baby team. and probably the basketball team. Once the uh, fall term ended, basketball started up for the spring. 
Oh, right. That's also weird as well, that not to skip too, too far ahead, but Will's basically like, all right, that's a wrap for the year. And like, isn't it like March? <laughs> yep, that's what I thought too, because you would imagine that Nationals could be coming up next if they did win at Regionals. Um, but when they wrap up with all of this stuff, you it, it obviously sounds like they're at the end of the school year. So unsure about the timeline there. But yeah, they they have a big sentimental moment here as they all are just deeply upset. Uh, at the end of this, Rachel talks about how, uh, Mr. Shu, can we just all go around the room and talk about what we loved about Glee club this year like instead of picking the songs for their set list uh coming up so they're all just kind of breaking down emotional they all did have a great time in the glee club and they all did grow together even though people like santana and britney maybe were doing it for the wrong reasons at first everybody grew to love each other right so it's it's, it's a hard thing to watch honestly i mean looking back i don't know if you guys have like tracked do you think was there like a definitive point in the series where some of these characters like turned good for lack of a better term in terms of the people that were sent into spy like i'm assuming for quinn it was yeah. the keep holding on moment right quinn yeah. was pretty early on the, 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 definitely she definitely got cemented at, that's a good question because i think she got cemented at the keep holding on but she did have a, um, a moment with sue where um i forget which episode it was because we've, <laughs> we've been binging and talking so much but she has a moment with uh sue where she's like thank you for teaching me that everything it's not really about you really have to worry about like uh, yourself and like not trying to make other people uh, feel like crap just so that you can feel good about yourself. And Sue's like, I didn't teach you that, but she learned it from Glee, of course. So yeah. I think that we do. And Rachel too. Rachel is Rachel being so nice to her every step of the way was like something that she never expected to have happened. Mm-hmm. And as she saw Rachel being so nice to her in spots where Quinn admitted, I would have been terrible to you in this kind of moment. Uh, that's what kind of turned her around to be like, oh, these people actually might care about me and I can't let that you know, slip away. I think mm. Pucks was with with Mercedes when she convinced him to stop being such an asshole. And then you got Santana at the mid-season finale saying, if you tell anybody, uh, I'll deny it, but I like being in Glee Club. So I feel like bit by bit, we sort of, you know, at least with the characters that are seemingly morally inconspicuous, uh, yes. they, uh, what they get a moment. What about Matt? <laughs> what about Matt, Mike? He gets Matt's one Matt. last line. Oh, you know what? We'll talk about it. But I'm just so pissed off. I did a little research as well about why he left. And apparently it was because of the fact... You know what? We'll, we'll talk about it when we get to the end of the episode. But it's just like... Yeah, well, we'll talk about when we get to Matt's second and like final se- line. Second and Glenn. final effing line. Like, come on. Come on, writers. Really? But okay. Whatever. Um, <laughs> So... Will is going to ask Emma for some guidance after the uh, all the kids are pretty much, you know catatonic with sadness um she reminds him that the entire reason that he started the club was because it brought him so much happiness um because he was doing something that he loved and isn't that what you've been trying to teach these kids the entire time so why all of a sudden now when you seemingly have no competition to win why does that why does that lesson mean nothing um and you know will is like oh my goodness the wisdom, the sage wisdom of Emma Pillsbury. I love you. I miss you. Why aren't we back together? Well, because she literally has not been in all the episodes for like the past five weeks. Right. <laughs> um, and Emma lets him know, like, look, I'm I'm dating somebody. I'm dating my dentist. You know, I get so turned on by the sanitation equipment, and we just we just hit it off. And then Will's gonna rudely ask her if they've had sex yet, and I'm like, um, excuse you. Excuse you, but Emma's going to end up admitting that they haven't, so. <laughs> yeah, this is so weird, which, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, uh, we're going to meet Carl in season two, right? That's Uncle Jesse himself, yes. John Stamos. Yes. 
<laughs> as who's going to sing Rocky Horror. I've always found it so weird. I mean, again, maybe one of the reasons why I personally like uh, sectionals better than regionals in season one is because it ended with this like really awesome moment of Will kissing Emma, and they really just had no idea what to do with them in these last nine episodes. I always found it weird that they ended like not on a cliffhanger outright. Like They almost ended on an anti-cliffhanger of, yes, Will does kiss Emma, but Emma's like, I'm taken by the way. Yeah, that just feels like something you would put in episode one of season two, not because you want to like build up intrigue for the summer, right? Uh, but right. Yeah, this is a little bit of a beginning of rude Will Schuster. I'm of a couple different minds as to like the choice to move away from Will, just because I think Matthew Morrison was really like a triple threat and really brought so much to the show. But I also feel like as we sort of did away with like the Ken Tanakas and the Sandy Ryersons of it all, as Will got fewer and fewer adult friends, you realize the creepier it is that like he asks Finn to be the best man at his wedding. Like he associates these teenagers with so many portions of his life that you're like, okay, maybe we do keep the adult at arm's length away from the kids and focus on the kids instead because that feels a little less ooky. Yeah, like yeah. it really it gets it gets really really bad once they start getting rid of a lot of these characters because it it just he's just surrounded by these kids all the time and I mean rightfully so I mean I understand that they wanted like once like we we talked about it already but like they wanted they wanted once they found out the power that this show actually has for so many kids they made all the storylines about the kids but then what about Will <laughs> Yeah I mean Matthew Morrison obviously was the big draw for this show uh, or one of them obviously like Jane Lynch and Leah Michelle uh, became so big so fast not because of this show for at least Jane Lynch but just having Matthew Morrison here was huge for them at the time he was one of Ryan Murphy's big gets um, so he wasn't going to ever like go anywhere far away from the storyline but like Mike said it's like once he becomes so wrapped up in the kids and having them be his best friends, that's when it just starts to get all weird. And it's like starting here, he's already had all of them at his house all season long. And now they are all literally hanging out at his house for an activity that could have been done in the choir room during school. <laughs> right. So, you know, after uh, he's been turned down once again uh, from Emma, he's going to be casually dragging his car along the road. Don't stop believing and it's going to come on. He's going to break down. But it appears that he also has some sort of revelation here. And I think Matthew Morrison, this is a really great moment for him, right? Because this is like he's been keeping it all together. And I guess sort of like the dressing down from Emma, but in an Emma Pillsbury way, which is like partially undressing, no real dressing down at all. Uh, But I think this is the moment where like he finally becomes undone. And I, I will again say that I think Matthew Morrison is definitely one of the better actors on this show, especially considering that it's like a theater to television transition, which doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. um, translate. Make it all, yeah, make it all the way with some of these people in terms of making it nice and small and convincing instead of just big and theatrical and playing to the back of the house. But I thought this was a really small moment of like he's coming to pieces, he's that muffler dragging all the pavement of his car. <laughs> and then once Don't Stop Believing comes on, which. You know, I'm glad that they were able to afford Don't Stop Believing the actual track because he goes for like several, you know, uh, like 99 cent basic music tracks before finding it. And he finally gets the inspiration uh, while I guess the kids are also coming up with a similar inspiration. So they just sort of meet in the middle here. Yeah, uh, Finn is going to approach Rachel and pretty much sort of lay into her a bit saying, you know, what, you, you know, pretty much step your pussy up, essentially, like, you're supposed to be the leader of this team. And you were so ready to throw in the towel when normally you're the one that's, you know, on our asses all the time. So what's that about? Um, which, you know, is going to 
make <laughs> Rachel all hot for him again. So she plants one on him. We get a lot of just random kissing in this episode. Um, so I guess they're back together now. But like uh, Mike said, they're going like, to sort of meet in the middle here. They're going to come back to the choir room. Uh, Finn and Rachel want to address the group, but Will beats them to the punch and essentially says, like, look, guys, we have been through so much. We have been through too much this year for us to essentially just throw in the towel and give up and not go for it. Like, we ha- like think about all the stuff that we've done. Think about all the things that we've been through. And plus, life is so short. You do not want to regret having made all of these friends, having made all of these connections, and having worked on all of your talent to just not do anything about it when it comes down to it at the end. So he decides that they are going to do a journey medley, because that is classic Will Schuster, and they are going to win regionals with this journey medley, and the club has been reinvigorated, and here we go. The start of many jokes to come as uh, seasons from now, we are going to have plenty of jokes about there's surely another journey song we haven't done yet. Uh, And this is like the time where we are doing all journey. And that is our that is our key to success. We cannot win without journey to the point where the title of the episode is I think it's some say it's journey to regionals. Some say it's just journey, but they are right on the nose. I had a question about regionals. So were they only, like, do we think that they got to sing three songs, but we only saw one from the other groups? Because I think they had three songs at sectionals, right? Does, like, yeah. does the Journey Medley count as one song? This is the debate that I always have when it comes to Glee, because people are, that was, like, the main critique that a lot of people have about the show. It's like, why do the New Directions always get three songs? I'm like, obviously the other teams get it. We just don't see them because they're not the main characters, you idiots. But, yes, I think <laughs> that... Um, I think that because when you do a medley and when you do a mashup, it yeah, it all it counts as like, I, no, I think it's I still think it's th- it's three separate because you have you have um, the mashup of uh, touching and squeezing and whatever the hell, and you have don't stop believing, and then you have faithfully. So three songs. Yeah, they they had three songs. Everybody had three songs, even though Bohemian Rhapsody here's is the, end up taking yeah, but here's the, the thing. entire length of uh, right. Like I wonder about the Bohemian Rhapsody. Is Bohemian mm. Rhapsody considered just one? set list because maybe, of its length yeah maybe it's less of a number of songs it's more of a time limit mm-hmm. you know That's like possible. do as many songs as you want to as long as it adds up to <laughs> seven and a half minutes exactly they would have had a couple who mean rhapsody down if they had a time limit <laughs> uh so we're gonna uh we're gonna yeah we're at we're at let's go to regionals baby we're, we're at regionals we finally made it we finally ah. made it. We are here um, at the 2010. Oh, my God. That was 10 years ago. Oh 2010 uh, Ohio Show Choir Regionals. Um, and, yeah, the celebrity judges are going to be announced. Uh, we get the return of Josh Groban mm-hmm. um, and Miss Olivia Newton-John. And, of course, Rod Remington. And Sue has been added to the roster. Um, and so the writers just want to raise the stakes even higher. So they try and make us believe that Oral Intensity, which is the group that goes first, has so much more of a chance to win because they decided to do a mashup of You Raised Me Up by Josh Groban and Magic by Olivia Newton-John, which sounds terrible, by the way. So I have no idea why Puck is like, oh, my God, they're going to they're gonna win now. Somebody must have tipped them off about the judges. Yeah, well, to I do think this that's, horrible I mean, mashup. Puck, does, Puck correctly predicts Olivia Newton-John's criteria, at least this version of Olivia Newton-John's. will put her name in quotations, which is like, the most self-serving person ever, right? Yeah. Like, just the idea that you've acknowledged the fact that they had careers and that Olivia Newton-John's career was not a big old stinker at a certain point with Xanadu that, like, oh, yay, oh, great, I'm going to give them a point. Uh, and I should mention here, I'm a big Josh Groban fan, and I, I do like how self-effacing he is, how he's basically been, in, in, like, well, actually, Acafellas, he was fine, right? It was that he was being creeped on by Sandy Ryerson. And this episode yes. is when Josh Groban is the asshole. 
Yes. Yeah, the uh, the gr- the judging panel, first of all, uh, having four judges, American Idol can tell you, that didn't really work out too no, well. No, no, no. Um, and I think they're trying to argue that Sue is the Cara Diaguardi. Probably. But, I mean, Sue gets – it's crazy how, like, how big of a pop she gets from the crowd. She gets up and she starts, like, turning around with a big C in her hand, like, showing everybody that, like, she's here. And it, it literally felt like a wrestler in the middle of the ring, like, mm-hmm. giving their signature pose and the whole crowd's just going wild. Like, how is she a favorite here? Unsure. Um, but, yeah, so we end up in the back of, uh, you know, with all the Glee kids in the back and they're all a little down because they feel like they're already losing. But, you know, of course, Will's going to come back there and pump them up, uh, which he, is very funny here because he's going to end up making a joke about it. he's like he doesn't even present it like a joke he's like we have right. one thing that the other glee kids don't that the other clubs don't finn's dancing and finn's looking around like what and everybody's nobody has any idea what he's talking about but uh point is they they need it to snapped them out of it up. yeah yeah it made them laugh was there was there a storyline in season one about finn learning to dance or am i conflating it with another character it was season three where we get the finn learning to dance thing um we don't we get we get a, we get like a, a little bit of it um in the uh t- in the beginning of this season with him and puck when they first joined the club and then the whole football team has to learn to dance but it's definitely more so highlighted in season three yeah and i think yeah, and also i think writer also had some in like you know the did. next generation i think he had to learn that's when uh mike chang came and taught him how to dance right Right. Yeah, every step of the way here with Finn, we get him presented as a character who has obviously got a great voice, but like in terms of getting to that final performance level, it takes him a while to get there. He can't dance. He needs the sheet music up until, up until the last possible second. He uh, he needs a lot of work. So after Will just drags Finn in front of the entire group, <laughs> Finn is going to go over to Rachel and tell her that he loves her right before they go on. And I am like, y'all just got back together yesterday. But... This is Glee. And also, you're you're you are telling like the most high strung person you know, yes. like right before one of her most important performances of her life so far. Like, hey, I love you. Not to throw you off or anything. Like, I'm Rachel is a professional, and luckily this is not like a don't rain on my parade moment where it's like all on her to a certain extent. Uh, but I can imagine like this could very easily throw somebody off if you tell them they love you, you love them right before they go on. I kind of feel the opposite because she has been. She has been wanting him this entire season. So I feel like him telling her that was like, oh, yes, that's exactly like Red Bull gives you rings, honey. Like she <laughs> she got her life to that because she just I was surprised that she didn't like, you know, plant another kiss on him and like have like a whole like uh, uh, touching and feeling and squeezing. <laughs> Honestly, no, this it. is this is Rachel's time to perform. No love, <laughs> no Finn, no nothing's going to no mom is going to get in the way when she knows that she's about to take the stage. Oh, she is focused and in the zone. <laughs> So, yeah, they are going to open up the set um, but with a duet between the two of them uh, with Faithfully, uh, which is then going to transition into the mashup of Any Way You Want It uh, with Love and Touching and Squeezing. And to end things, we are going to get our final performance with the new direc- with the original New Directions of Don't Stop Believing. And we get a few other solos interspersed mm. throughout this entire set list. We get like a little moment with Puck and Santana. Uh, we get a little moment with... Uh, Tina and Artie, I think, sing like a little duet at one point. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I'm confusing that with Two Sir with Love. Yeah, you know, I think I think it might be Two Sir with Love, but we do get Mercedes flourishing and modulating <laughs> the end of we Don't Stop Believing. get Puck and Santana during Don't Stop Believing. They yeah. get a little bit to themselves. So, I mean, obviously, all three of these songs are going to be led by Finn and Rachel for the most part, which I really wish, um, I, which I really disagreed with. Like, I really, I mean, we, we get so much of them already. Like, so this is like sort of like not that much of a hot take, but I feel like for like the season finale, 
when you're wrapping up everything, I really feel like they should have given a little bit more to some of these other characters. I but. mean, it's also, it's weird. I mean, uh, we have, we see, I'm so surprised given Kurt's trajectory that he is purple in this episode. And he's not <laughs> just wearing purple. Uh, and, but I think it's just because like, Chris Colfer's voice uh, until we get to the warblers of it all was not really like a regional sectionals voice considering like how lilting it is. So I guess they were looking yeah. for more so like the power belters, which is where this comes from. Uh, but yeah, d- I also, I don't know why, but I, something that slightly unnerved me about the don't stop believing in particular was that these, the lip syncing, their mouths were way too wide for the <laughs> duh, duh, duh. Done, done. Yeah. yeah. But luckily they were going to like, I don't know, swallow an Alexa or something with how wide their <laughs> mouths were. These performances are just, all three of them are so, so, so good. Faithfully is like just a touching, like you, we don't get as much Finn and Rachel in this season as I remembered or as I thought I remembered. So going back, I was surprised by the amount of time that they're kind of separated throughout yeah. the season. Um, but when they come together here and it's just, you know, Corey Monteith at his, uh, one of his best moments, he doesn't, you know, again, I've said a million times, I don't love every song that he does, but they sound great together here. Mm-hmm. And then they come onto the stage the new directions are waiting there for them and then everybody comes all together for uh, the any way you want it love and touch and squeeze and mash up that sounds amazing like yeah. all three of these back to back and then don't stop believing obviously ties the entire season one together where where they started from uh, back with just the, the six of them on stage bringing Will back to being a teacher from being an accountant for five minutes um, and now here we are at regionals mm-hmm. and they just kill it again so um, all three of these songs you know they get three songs they're going to perform all three and they just are uh, and the Incredible. crowd is loving it. Like, they're all up yeah. on their feet. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They, as soon as they hear Any Way You Want It, like, I don't know why these people are just yeah, they... big Journey fans, but they're, like, up on their feet before even the big climax. And I think it also makes sense here, right? Because logically, any other group, they would be practicing these numbers throughout the year. New Directions is able to just, like, pop on these random tunes at the last second and pull them off flawlessly. So mm-hmm. I also think not only from an emotional level and a storytelling level, as Matt says, but also from, like, a pragmatic level, it would make sense that, yeah, if they've been working on Don't Stop Believing the entire year, then, yeah, of course they would perform it. It should be a right. crowd pleaser, yeah. I was thinking that balcony was going to collapse because bal- all those people up there, like, jumping up and down, I was like, honey... Yeah, for some reason, my thought was like, how long of a day of filming was this? Because obviously, these are all like real extras yeah, it just looks chilling in the seats all day. In there. Well, like, apparently, that- from, from what I read, apparently, like Ryan Murphy uh, actually put out like the call for actual Glee fans to sit in the audience because, again, oh, that's awesome. the first few episodes had aired. So that was a cool thing, but also it means that I think these people had no problem being energetic because they got to watch these like people that they were yeah, already obsessed with. They were like, pick me, season two, pick me. <laughs> it was great. Um, and then, yeah, we're gonna. Quinn's end mom up is gonna following end up, them backstage. Yeah, Quinn's mom's gonna end up like seeing them mid performance, which like, uh, okay, fine. Like I get it. You're wrapping up Quinn's storyline, so you want the mom there, but which is like, really, girl? Like, so we're gonna go backstage. Um, Quinn's mom is. Yeah, doesn't it feel like there's always someone important there? Like whether yeah. it's uh, you know her or it's Whoopi Goldberg as Carmen from Niada, or like there's always this or one Mike person Chang's parents yeah, or exactly. it's something. Like it's always some like somebody's somebody's somebody lives. comes to the show that you didn't expect yeah somebody's like having a come to jesus moment as they listen to the new direction thing it's like it's crazy but yeah she's um quinn is gonna um quinn's mom is gonna stop her and say hey i you know i i heard you sing i'm sorry that i missed most of it where there are a lot of the performances it's like girl you should know you're the mom but whatever <laughs> and she lets quinn know that she actually ended up kicking up or kicking out her uh, her father and that she wants her to come home 
with her, and Quinn is like silent this entire time. So she's like, "Honey, say something," and right on cue, Quinn's water breaks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, not the most reassuring. I want you to come home. Yeah, uh, because she's it's just so saying, rushed. "I only want you to come home because I kicked out your dad because he was having an affair, not because he was treating you horribly. Because he was treating me horribly. Mm-hmm. It's because he was having an affair with some tattooed freak." And is also, what she says, and also, like, uh, how traumatized? Like, I feel like it'd be traumatizing on your own to have like your dad be cheating on your mom and get kicked out of the house. Now you have like this baby on top of it. They're just piling on the traumas for Quinn. Also, I had read that. Some people theorize that this whole storyline about him, uh, you know, leaving his wife for a tattooed freak was like a reference to the whole Jesse James, Sandra Bullock thing. Jesse James, Sandra Bullock thing. So, uh, remember, remember, so back in like 2009, 2010, actually right around the time that she won the Oscar for The Blind Side, uh, Sandra Bullock was married to Jesse James, who was like a, a motorcycle club owner. Uh, oh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, and he had cheated on her. Uh, they had been married for quite some time, and I remember that was a big celebrity scandal at the time. So leave it to Ryan Murphy, even though he has, uh, as we talked <laughs> about before, like evaded really tapping into modern day stuff when it comes to Glee. I don't think he could resist making this very obscure reference in the moment. Yeah, because I could, I could. When she said it, it did like I perked my ears up because I was like, "Is this supposed to be referencing something?" But I thought it was something like within the story of Glee that like maybe I had like forgotten about. But you know, no comes. <laughs> Push comes to shove, it's just a pop culture reference from Ryan Murphy. So uh, the show is going to go on. The New Directions, or most of them anyway, have left the uh, theater to accompany Quinn um, to the hospital to deliver the baby. And we are going to get some major synchronicity here as Jesse and the rest of Vocal Adrenaline perform Bohemian Rhapsody. And can I just say that Jonathan Groff... Mm-hmm. That's that's the, the statement. The mind hunter um, himself. Uh, I will. I will also say. Uh, I know. You know. This is an episode too late. But I will say something that always was stuck in my craw, and I'm sure you guys talked about this in the funk episode. Was just the terrible, terrible writing at the beginning of that last episode of John of you know Jesse being like, "Wahahaha! I'm done. I'm yep. going back to vocal adrenaline." Like it just felt so like we have to put him right here, and I mean, good because mm-hmm. it showed him off, but it felt so haphazard and yep. like so last minute. But if it produces Bohemian Rhapsody. I don't know. Yeah. I'd be glad to forgive it. <laughs> um, True. Yeah, Amon, you're going to think that I'm giving away something here, and I don't know that I I don't know that I am. We'll talk through that when we get to the whole favorite song of it all, but Bohemian Rhapsody and this performance is one of the best things that I think Lee has ever done. It's this entire it's sequence of, of mm-hmm, an entire mm-hmm. segment of the show being this long-ass song, Bohemian Rhapsody, from start to finish as Vocal Adrenaline, one of the best vocal groups, one of the best show choirs uh, across the country that is obviously the top contender to win this regionals here, is performing this from start to finish, like I said, and it's just interspliced with this entire Quinn scene where... Yes, I mean, realistically, is she getting to the hospital that fast, having her baby and have it handed to her that fast? No, it's not. Uh, but that's, uh, oh, sp- suspend your disbelief. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's I would, I would, I would so hope fast. that the labor process would escalate the Bohemian Rhapsody to someone who has gone <laughs> I, through it. <laughs> I was going to say, I was like, uh, you definitely could tell us firsthand if it has gone uh, that fast. No, I can't can, imagine can, it does. Can, for most of the time, you could listen to like Queen's entire discography and like barely get the baby out. <laughs> it's insane, but this is just so good. Like watching the New Directions stand behind 
behind Quinn and Puck. Obviously, Puck's pushing Quinn in the wheelchair, getting her as fast as they can to uh, where she needs to be. And Mercedes is there. And just that moment where Quinn is about to go get taken into her room and she's screaming for her mom because her mom is right there with her and Puck is with her. And then she grabs Mercedes to come with them as well because Mercedes has been reaching out to Quinn. Uh, you know, it was kind of quick, but in the last episode where she had Quinn decide to come move in with her and all that stuff. So it's just like, and mind you, uh, Aman, you know that I was just crying the entire time mm. from the second that Faithfully starts all the way up until this baby comes out. Uh, mm. I'm just a mess, hysterical. Um, and Mercedes comes with her. They go into the room. And as this is happening and the lines that Quinn has here, everything, it's just mm-hmm. like a masterpiece. It's it's just, it's wonderfully directed. Like it's, it's clearly, it's clearly very, very over the top and very campy, but it works. It just... Everything works. I mean, I, I totally believed it. Like, Diana Agron's acting here. Like, I believed that there was... I, I believed that her uterus was on fire. I believed everything. <laughs> um, Just her lines here, where obviously it lines up with the whole... With, with the, Let me go! Exactly. Me go! Like, it's like, why would a mom be screaming at her? <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know. As someone who has been through the process, and luckily my lovely wife Angela was not like... She is not someone who goes as aggro or agron as that, but like, for me, it's not outside <laughs> the realm of possibilities that someone would be like, get me the hell out of here. Because like, they were trying to go. hold her down. They were like, they wanted her to, to push, like they were pu- pushing her back down as well. She's like, just get off of me! Yeah, like, and that's and- what I really liked it because Bohemian Rhapsody, as much as I love the song, has some pretty nonsensical lyrics. I mean, that was mm-hmm. the whole thing with the, the movie of the same name, right? That whole scene of like, wow, this is a crazy song but they were somehow able to make it work and i guess because it's the woman on the verge of like the most pain she'll ever be in in her life is just saying no 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 mama uh and i think i think it ends up working though i will say uh like anti-gold star to puck for deciding to look down there do not (laughs) look down there funny in this scene he's just does not know what to do with himself and i mean come on these are 16 year old kids there should be somebody in the room either don't let puck in the room i mean i'm not surprised he's in the room or like somebody kind of guide him on where where to go or what to do i i will i don't know there's nothing that he can do but stand there you know yeah well no i i was and i was someone who stood there as well i also helped angela a bit when it came to pushing but i will also say i was expressly told many many times do not look down there and i'm very grateful that i did not (laughs) like i don't know how puck to be honest, can look at Quinn the same way again after he looked down there. Not to besmirch the female body whatsoever, but that's a deal breaker. They tell you not to look for a It is a traumatic experience for everyone. It's tra- It's literally trauma. Like you, you just that, there's a reason that we do not remember our own births, okay? Because <laughs> we're not supposed to. It's crazy. Yeah, that's why Mercedes <laughs> is is being such a, a rock here. Obviously, her mom is there as well, but Mercedes is like trying to be as supportive as possible, just like yeah, trying to like coach her along with the best that she can do mercedes has no training in this uh but I, it's just you know funny watching puck off in the side and quinn's yelling at him you suck you suck you suck you suck you suck <laughs> it's just everything about this is so perfectly done um and then eventually at the, by the time this song comes to an end and you know 30 minutes later the baby has been born oh, and yeah. out a pops a nice three-month-old child <laughs> right <laughs> the nurse brings it to quinn and quinn is looking on and smiling as she's holding her baby and yeah and you know once again jonathan groff just uh, absolutely smashes the number just like it's it's the best he's sounded in his like i won't say that because i've i've heard him a lot but like it's def- like out of all of the jonathan groff performances that i've seen or heard like just amazing like i just yeah. I, I just can't like talk about it I, enough i would say tad on to i think it's the most impressive 
Mm-hmm. He's sung. Like I think he he does a lot of stuff very very well. He's he's Groff Sauce after all. But I think just like I mean he's he's singing Freddie Mercury and that is extremely tough to do. But he's able to nail it. And I know that it wasn't done at the same time. But he's also pulling off the vocal adrenaline esque dance moves at the mm-hmm. same time. So mm-hmm. like listen, I'll be completely honest. I love New Direction as much as the next person. I probably would have ranked. Oh no, they vocal won. Adrenaline number they won. One. <laughs> I mean, they won. Like it's just it it just is what it is. Like that. Like you just can't yeah. deny. <laughs> Will even acknowledges that later on uh, after they lose. He's like, Sue, look, come on. I know the vocal adrenaline won. I get that we couldn't beat them just yet, but come on. Um, but during this whole performance, uh, we have to uh, call out the fact that one person did not go to the hospital <laughs> with the rest of them. One person is still hanging behind and, watching their competition. And what else did we expect from Miss Barry here? I mean, some lady's got to stay down and hold the floor, and it's going to be her because she needs to make sure that there is no, like, she needs to understand what the competition is. So yes. I get it. And plus, I mean, the entire, the entire new directions is like in the waiting room like they're all in the er with her like she's she's fine she's got her mom so i understood i understood why she stayed behind just to you know keep yes but the the faberry count accounts uh worldwide were shattering (laughs) as uh, rachel missed the birth of quinn's baby yeah she literally was like fuck them kids Rachel is going to confront Shelby um, after Vocal Adrenaline is done, essentially congratulating her. I think that she pretty much knew at that point that they were not going to win. Shelby thanks her, and Rachel immediately goes into this proposal of, hey, 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 hey. Like, look, you guys obviously won. We still beat you because we know that Jesse doesn't have much heart. And once he's done, why don't you come on over and teach at McKinley? You and Will could have, you know, the best time together being co-directors. You could teach so you could teach me so much. There's so much that I have to learn from you. You're my mom after all. Yeah, because like screw those other kids in vocal adrenaline, right? Like just just poach their director from them because Jesse's gone and he's the only one that matters, I guess. Um, but Shelby's gonna turn her down. She's like, look, I already missed out on having a family one time. I don't want to do it again. Like, I've been running myself ragged. I mean, she already told Will back when they were hooking up in his apartment that all she talks about, all she thinks about is vocal adrenaline. She's done. She's had enough. Like, I'm tired. I want a baby. I want a garden. I want a garbage disposal. I want, like, I I want a house. I want a home. Like, and I just can't do this anymore. And I love you, Rachel. Sort of, kind of, not really. But I just need, I need another, I need another chance at being a mom. And I, I just don't want to do this anymore it's a cruel it's a it's a pretty harsh scene because it's like you know what shelby's trying to say here and we as an audience maybe can sympathize with her a little bit more than rachel is probably going to be able to understand what she's saying because we get what shelby was going for that she thought like like what we know what she was been looking for and we understand that this isn't exactly it but it just sounds like a little bit harsh to be telling rachel that like it's like saying this is not what i wanted it sounds like it sounds like rejection, right? It's basically right. saying, it like, you made this offer to have me be a bigger part in your life, and I'm sorry I don't want to do that. Which, to your point, is not what she's intending. I think she's making, like, the one of the first selfish decisions in her life, where she has dedicated so much of her time and her effort to this group that she hasn't had any time for herself. And I think maybe her intention is like, look, you have Jeff Goldblum and Brian Stokes Mitchell. Like, you're in a very happy <laughs> familial relationship. I don't have anybody I need to work on that before I can move forward with anything else. Uh, And that being said, and we'll get to, you know, uh, Shelby adopting Beth at the end. I will say that if they had just stopped the storyline of Shelby Corcoran right here, right now at Journey to Regionals, I would be very happy with the character personally. Honestly, I would agree because I kind of, I mean, we don't really, we don't, I don't think we get any Shelby at all during season two. And so I sort of forgot about her. So I was like, I was fine with not seeing her again. But yeah, and I mean, I feel like Rachel. I mean, she already told you a couple seasons or a couple episodes ago 
how she's thought that the best thing for, for the two of them to do would just be be grateful for each other from afar for now. And now you're asking her to come and be in your life every day next year. And it's just like, she literally told you no already. So I felt like Rachel, I mean, I understand that Rachel just, she just, uh, she clearly just wants to have a relationship with her birth mother. I get it. But like, it's just, it's only going to confuse you. And the reason, the, the very fact that you're doing this and you're asking her to do this right now is the exact reason why Shelby said, we need, we can't, we can't do this right now. Like, it's just not good. So yeah, some time has passed in between, I guess, uh, that poker face performance and, and here, but it's still like, you know, a 16 year old girl is not going to be able to come around to the fact uh, that fast that it's kind of like the, the no that she got the last time was pretty much like a, a permanent no. It was going to be hard and take probably a lot more of persuading and maybe from like adult kind of maybe like Shelby needed like a therapist, honestly, to help her through this. Uh, not Rachel just saying like, oh, but you could like be even closer to me. So yeah, like like you guys said, it's just it's it doesn't work out super well. And it's um, I don't know if I agree with the with the take about wanting or being fine with her story ending here just because that would mean no more Adina Menzel on the show, and I'm happy that we did get more. So, that's, yeah. I mean, I will say, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Uh, I'm fine with more Idina Menzel on the show. I'm not fine with Idina Menzel sleeping with Puck and Quinn trying to steal her baby back on the show. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, 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 uh, yeah, we'll get to that. And I, listen, I'm, I, listen, if it was just her in the trouble tones, I'm all for it. And yeah. Then punk Quinn. Yeah, it was. It got. It got crazy. That's what Glee was starting. It. it, it yeah, season three. Ooh, it's gonna, we're, gonna have, we're gonna have fun with that season, boo. That's gonna be. <laughs> yeah, some we get fun to it shit. in like two weeks from now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, but, let's get to the uh, judges' deliberation because this well, is before a mess. then, here's some like some masterful writing here, I guess, because after Shelby is lamenting about not having a child, Rachel is going to tell her, "Oh yeah, by the way, uh, the rest of the team is with Quinn. She just had her baby." And so. <laughs> foreshadowing there beautiful baby girl (laughs) beautiful beautiful baby girl which is that baby was actually really really precious i mean what baby is not Mm -hmm. precious it was it was real no it it wasn't like crying at all it just like looked up at it at her mom and it was just like it was so it was very adorable yes i i I think you know it's a good baby for both parties (laughs) so the judges are going to deliberate uh sue is ready to just tear the new directions a new one she knows exactly what she's there to do um and she's ready to do it um, even after watching that beautiful journey medley, like just a soulless, soulless person. But not for long, because the judges are going to end up doing it for her. I thought it was funny that um, Olivia Newton-John, as soon as uh, Sue comes in the room, she's like, Olivia Newton-John, you're, you're dead to me. I guess she's pissed off because Olivia screwed her over in all those physical resales. <laughs> yes, got- in the contract negotiations <laughs> they had for that. She got so screwed out of the money there. So they are not on good terms. So yeah, she's ready to... Um, to, to pretty much uh, make sure that the New Directions lose. However, uh, Olivia Newton-John is like, uh, you know, she pretty much kind of lays into them. Like, I really just, I, I, I just cannot get over, like, this whole schmaltzy, like, oh, we're a bunch of underdogs coming to root together. And, like, and, like you know, come on. Like, we're, 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 like, let us win this one. Like, she just couldn't, she couldn't get over it. It was like, just so like, icky to her. And then she goes on to say that brunettes do not, belong in show business and uh, i guess that was like the the last straw for sue because then she's like oh come on they're just kids and i'm like that's the thing that gets that's like the dog whistle for you like i and I'm it's interesting because here. i i would have expected the opposite i thought it would have been like the whole like her lamenting the production values at the school i felt like that would make more logical sense for sue right because that's right. like they're slandering the the place where she works and you know how the cheerios have all the budgets and everything so i can imagine her taking a point because of that but yeah i mean 
as much as you know, fun it is to watch celebrities sort of do like the the extras Ricky Gervais show route of just doing over the top versions of themselves. Uh, Olivia Newton John in Glee Universe is a terrible person. She is. I was like, I was like, I was um, interested about that actually because I was like, are you when you signed on to do this show or like this episode in particular, and you saw the writing, were you okay with this because you're playing yourself? You know, like it's not. Yeah, like, and she's basically <laughs> acting like that person. That would tweet like, "Well, they're only poor because they don't work hard enough." Yeah, I was like, "This is like yeah. so bad." <laughs> when Rod Remington is not the worst person in the room, you know that we have a problem. <laughs> Olivia Newton-John has a point. I was like, "Oh, get the hell out of here!" Like, what? Are, like, what are you doing? You're not a celebrity either. Like, you're a local news person. See, like, that's, and that's the thing as well. And this is what, like, we, and I guess again, it's because these are very blunt celebrities. But like, I never understood the logic in this scene either. Of like, because then the ire then turns on to Sue, right? Like, once Sue sticks up for them a little bit, then they're like, "Oh, it makes sense that you would feel this way, Sue. What are you even doing here? You're not a celebrity." Rod Remington is a local news anchor. Right. Who ranks much, much lower. Like, wasn't wasn't there a joke about like Sue being on the cover of Time or something? Where and let's also like do not throw stones here, Olivia Newton John and Josh Groban. You are celebrities that flew to Ohio, Ohio. to watch a show choir regional not once, competition. But like, twice. You, yeah, you, you went, have you have sunk much, much lower than you think you did. You went to Ohio to film a remake of your physical video with some random Ohio teacher that made it viral again for the kids. And Josh Groban, you came all the way to Ohio to tell Sandy Ryerson to stop emailing you, okay? Instead of just sending one of your many lawyers that I'm sure that you have with your L.A. money, which is another point that they made. They're like, we're going to be flying back to to L.A. and you're going to remain here. And like, so is Rod Remington. So I don't understand which are – it was just a mess. It was a mess. Hey, Sue uh, Sue gets pretty emotionally uh, ruined here as uh, her ego just goes from uh, on top of the world that she's about to crush the Glee Club single-handedly by by having all of the judges come together and put them last to uh, now she feels like the new directions are about to feel like. And it's a a pretty big moment. Yeah, it is. And I think it's probably the most emotional we've seen Sue since Wheels, right? Since we find out about her sister. And I think it's because like, in that moment, she's like the new directions of the judges, right? Someone who's like mocked mercilessly and mm-hmm. thinks they have heart, but it turns out that nobody actually, for lack of a better term, believes in them. And I wonder if it was also a certain point of like, she wanted this to be her big move, as it were, of like, she wants to convince yeah. the judges to pile on new directions. And if it's not her idea, she feels uh, less motivated to do so. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm much more comfortable with, with that narrative and that like, she finally. She finally was able to empathize with the kids in that moment, realizing, oh, my goodness, what they are doing to me is exactly what I've been doing to those kids all year long. And I'm like, I don't I'm it's it sucks that it took Olivia Newton John telling you that you screwing you over in sales and then telling you that you're not Twice. a celebrity <laughs> for you to realize that. But, hey, I mean, I guess different folks, different strokes. So, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, the, the, the results are going to be red. I hate that Sue's the one that has to do it. Like, I feel like if you were so pissed off with this. With this, uh, the way that this judging went down, I feel like you would not even want to read it. But I guess you know she still took some kind of victory in doing that. But she announces that oral intensity are the runners up, and uh, vocal adrenaline has won. The only thing I can say about this scene really is fuck Jesse. Like he is such an ass here. Like he's looking at them, gloating in their faces. Like just you're just horrible. I just I, I, for you to be like, oh, I, I actually did have love for you at some point, Rachel. Well, like then act like it. Like this is like just you're just you're a complete in total dick here 
And the fact, I mean, I felt so bad for Artie because he's sitting there like, we didn't even place. Like, yes, you did place. You did place. You just yeah. lost. You came in third. Third is still placing. And yes, it sucks, but you did place. Do not, like, be that hard on yourselves. Like, you're... Is third out of three placing? I mean, I know that, like, placing is, like, Participation usually first, second, trophy or third, for the you new direction. You still placed. You still were there. Like, you, like, you, I just... You're, you're in the at technical definition of the Glee Club survival, <laughs> it seemed to be that they had to get either first or second. So when they did not achieve that goal, obviously that's why they are so dejected. But um, the definition of placed, uh, I can see why you know it would be pretty controversial here. Uh, I'm trying to like cheer these kids up. Matt, this is a like, sad happy. episode for Artie as well. Like he has this line. He has like the "I've never kissed a girl before" <laughs> line. <laughs> yeah, what a, what an awesome table read that must have been for him. But uh, yeah, so the uh, Glee is, you know, banished now. They've lost. Seemingly. It's done. It's over. We, uh, we're, as, as far as we know, obviously we're not back at the school just yet, but we are aware that they had a mission here. They had to, wait, uh, they had to place at section, uh, regionals, and it seems that they did not do so. And obviously everybody is dejected. They all felt like this was coming. They knew that it was going to happen, but it's like you still had that little bit of hope. Um, I mean, Rachel's the only one who saw the vocal adrenaline performance anyway, because yeah. the rest of them were at the hospital. And, then and now they they're all, all back magically came in, back time. <laughs> in time. For like, the it's crazy how yeah, well, time well, works in thing. this Not universe. only did they all come back to lose, but then Puck has to go back to the hospital to see his baby and then probably like tell Quinn that they lost. But also like, I don't know. He's got to be doing, like, I don't know, at least 80 miles an hour on the roads or something to get back in time and back to the hospital. Yeah, he burned a lot of calories that day. It was crazy. Well, I don't know. Maybe some time has passed because Quinn is just up and about just having a good old time when, like, that is very much not. I know that uh, Angela had a C-section, which takes a bit of a longer time to recover, but that is not the case. And you certainly, Missy, do not go back to school the next day. Yeah, it must have, there must have been some time that passed because Shelby was definitely at there for like at the uh, competition for the for the results, but then ends up at the hospital. So maybe about an hour or so has passed, two hours or so. Uh, but yeah, Puck and Quinn are at the hospital um, admiring the newborn, and Puck is going to ask Quinn if she wants to keep her. Quinn is going to you know very decidedly say no, um, and she asks him. He also says no, um, and she asks him you know, did you actually love me? Did, were you serious when you said that the first time? And he said yes, and even more so now. So maybe the horrors of Down Under weren't enough to, <laughs> to dismay him. Yeah, it's it's uh, these two are going to have a history, uh, or they're, they're, the history between them is going to obviously play out more in the future, and we will see that um, in in a couple different ways as uh, we go forward in Glee. But it you know th- moments like this keep in the back of your mind as uh, between the two of them, stuff that happens between some of the other couples. It's it's all going to tie together over the next couple seasons. Yeah, I am like I said this before, but I am much more on board with the whole you know spoiler alerts because I've already talked about it, but. Um, the whole Puck and Quinn of it all at the end, I was like, I just, I did not see that at all. But then again, I don't watch season one a lot. So having watched this season again, I'm like, okay, I totally get it now. Like, I mean, having a child with somebody that sort of bonds you with them. Yeah, for, and I can like, also imagine, like, I think the maturation of Puck in particular, like, Quinn always seemed like a relatively put-together person. Sans went, again, that, like, little punk phase uh, that you mm-hmm. get the beginning of season three. But Puck, you know, growing up, doesn't he, like, join the Air Force or something? Like, it's very clear, mm-hmm. I think, in Quinn's eyes that he had certainly matured from the guy that was throwing people into dumpsters. And so I think that makes sense, that, like, she was always waiting for him to get to that level, and then they were really able to get together. Right. Um, so Shelby's going to uh, come on up in this piece and be like, oh, which one is yours? And then asks them about the name. Quinn is like, she don't have a name yet. 
leave this alone. <laughs> Puck is like, <laughs> it's Beth. <laughs> so I guess, you know, I guess we can surmise what's going to happen there. I guess we can just sort of just talk about it now. At the end of the episode, we are going to see Shelby is the one that ends up adopting the baby. And when the nurse asks her for the name, she lets her know that the baby's name is Beth. So Shelby got everything that she wanted this episode. What's the timeline on Shelby getting this baby, though? Because isn't the adoption process like a month-long thing? Or do you think they just sort of fast-tracked it because she's a local celebrity now, a la Sue Sylvester? No, I, I mean, if anything, they fast-tracked it because, like, Quinn, I guess, was giving, like, full permission to uh, Shelby being the person adopting. I don't know anything about the adoption process, but it's, uh, you know, you'd have to imagine that... For I mean, I guess the, my first question is obviously, like, how is Quinn comfortable enough with Shelby? Just because she knows that she's Rachel's mom does not give me enough uh, if, to yeah, make me feel like Quinn if, should be comfortable with this. Especially because her history was giving up a kid. If, exactly. If anything, I would be like, because, I mean, we see that Quinn and Rachel sort of, like, go, grow a little closer this season. I'd be like, if anything, I'd, I'd sort of be like, well, do you, don't you kind of want to run that by Rachel first? Because you know that there's, like, a whole little thing between Rachel and Shelby now. And now you're about to give Shelby the baby. It's just, like, it's a mess. It really is. Yeah, and you saw this coming. Uh, I mean, maybe maybe if you didn't, like, see this coming, maybe if you were watching for the first time and you thought that, like, Terry was going to come in and scoop up the baby or something like that. But um, we end up with this storyline as Terry goes away where uh, Shelby is now the one who she was talking to Will a couple episodes ago about how she can't have a kid anymore because there was a surgery and, you know, complications and whatnot. So she's no longer able to have a baby of her own. Um, but then, obviously, it's like this baby's been up for grabs all season. It's like Quinn doesn't want it. Anybody want the baby? <laughs> it's like they're about to have an auction for uh, <laughs> for, for who's going to get this baby. I love I think, this image of Terry Schuster sneaking in like some sort of old crone and like stealing <laughs> the baby out of its nursery. Right. Like, you know, Terry was sitting outside the hospital waiting for uh, for all this to happen, all this to go down, and then is crying, devastated, disappointed as uh, Shelby walks out with the baby. So. Right. I think she was ready uh, to like Tanya Harding style, like club Quinn in the kneecap and take <laughs> the baby. And then like rush to Will and be like, see, I had a baby. It wasn't false. It wasn't a false pregnancy at all. Like, like. Take me back oh now. God. I would say the biggest robbery of this entire seas, uh, seri- uh, scene rather, is that the unwed mothership connection <laughs> from the previous episode was not invited to Quinn's uh, delivery. But I guess that's neither here nor there. Yeah, because th- those moms were like pregnant like those moms were due like tomorrow uh quinn was due i mean at the beginning of this episode we find out that quinn well when she was at will's house was saying that she wasn't due for another month so i don't really know how the time worked here i don't know if she had her baby early or if it was just like we're expected to believe that that amount of time passed between then and regionals no it said this saturday so i have to assume that it was like in that case i mean if that'd be the case that is extremely negligent on their part to let a pregnant woman perform because i feel like either the school or the (laughs) national show choir council would be like liable legally speaking if she got hurt or something happened to the baby while she was performing right and did you notice like during the the, during the performances that like obviously the dresses that they were wearing were uh like they were pretty like fluffy on the bottom um Mm -hmm. but it seemed like like quinn did not seem to be nine months pregnant wearing that dress yeah she did look a little small yeah yeah, she looked she looked pretty scary. Well, maybe maybe um, to Mike's point, maybe she was hiding it for that very reason because she didn't want to get flagged by the by the, true. By the show board. But um, we're going to return to the school at the beginning of the next week. Emma is laying into Principal mm. Figgins in his office, and once again, we are getting a very rare moment from her. I feel like we I feel like after season one, Emma does not have these moments anymore. Like she has given it to Sue, she's given it to Figgins. Like she just, she just, she'll go off sometimes. 
Willow's gonna ask. So you gave her the confidence. Yeah, <laughs> so you gave her the uh, the go ahead yeah, to go I, be yourself. And I think it's also one of these things, sort of like the Jim and Pam of it all, where like once spoiler alert, spoiler alert, Will and Emma get together, they really have no idea what to do with her. The character really gets neutered, which sucks because she had a lot of like interesting quirks to her aside from the OCD of it all. And like you said, this is like a really fun like the puppy learning to bite moment where she learns to speak up for these people. I mean, these are the she accompanied them to sectionals, right? Mm-hmm. When Will couldn't. So like she clearly has a lot of support of them and Will, even if her feelings towards him are a bit mixed right now. Yeah, so she's Will's gonna ask her what that what that was about. And Emma's clearly upset about the Glee Club, but also Will's able to perceive that it's you know it's got something to do with him as well. And, you know, it's a good thing that all those kids that were in the hallway before this conversation started ended up clearing out because Will is going to go up and just kiss her again. And I'm like, <laughs> if those students had seen that, like... <laughs> he does not care. Yeah, they. Uh, he's just like, he's so like, I don't know what... Should I say he's turned on by her, like, being so passionate for I, him and for I the Glee Club? I completely think so. Yeah. I think he like, likes her ferocity for what he loves. Also, him saying, uh, you know... I mean, Emma says, you know, it's never over, which is like a very clear side of like, will it just stay away from me, please? Like you, <laughs> you keep saying it's over, but it's not. But it's not for like lack of trying. It's just that you don't want it to be over. It's 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 very creepy. It's very creepy. But hey. but yeah, so she's she's a mess. Uh, she's she's devastated. And this is the passion that Emma's had all season long for the kids that uh, at the end of the day, of course, it was all for Will. But like you also knew that she was there for the kids. She wanted to see them succeed. Um, and finding out that this is over, that this is nothing she could nothing she can do at this point to get them back to being with Will. And, you know, it, uh, it is, of course, still going to have something to do with uh, wanting to see Will happy with the kids that make him happy and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. So um, she's very passionate as she tries to get this back. And yeah, it's uh, not the exact same ending as the mid-season finale, but it is a pretty similar way as they end with Kiss here and go off, even though Emma is currently dating somebody else, Mr. Dentist. But uh, (laughs) as Will says, it's not going to be the end of us. So Rachel's going to come up to him and ask him to come to the auditorium. And in the auditorium, all of the New Directions are sitting on stools, ready to thank Mr. Shu for all the work that he'd been doing with them for the entirety of the year. So listen now, as the kids all go into the auditorium and they sit down with Will, uh, they're going to let them know things that are important to them about the uh, about this year in the Glee Club. So, so we have something we need to say to you. In the beginning of this year, I was just another football player. I had a stutter. I was the closeted diva. I used to be captain of the Cheerios. I was afraid to dance outside my room. I hated everyone in this club. So did I. I wasn't honest about who I was. I was tossing kids into dumpsters. I had never kissed a girl before. And I was getting slushied. I didn't, I didn't have a father. Someone I could look up to. Model myself after. Someone who could show me what it really meant to be a man. We don't care what the judges say. We won. Because we had you as a teacher. And Glee Club will never end Mr. Shu because you are Glee Club. Thank you and all of us now. Britanna like <laughs> hated everyone in this club. Like Santana is just so savage at all times, even when she's emotional. But yeah, we get one final line from Matt Rutherford. Like, yay, I guess. Like <laughs> 
I mean, in he the was beginning just a, of this year, yeah. I was just another football player, and he ends the year as just another Glee Club member. Exactly. Like it's uh, so sad, so sad. So I did some research, and apparently, he reportedly left the show because of the fact that he was not getting any character development. Like he, like they, when they reached on to season two. His character was pretty much doing more or less the same thing. But then his official statement was like, hey, I left the show because of uh, reasons completely beyond my, con- my control. Um, but, but I have nothing but love for the, for the team and like, you know, the rest of the cast and everything. And I'll always you know, love Glee and everything. They're my family. So it sounds to me like they just axed him. Like they were just not going to mm. give him anything. And it's like, it's so annoying because up until recently... Very recently. And this is a critique that I've had for Ryan Murphy a lot. It seems like when it comes to his shows, he does not know how to write for African-American men. And when he writes for African-American women, it's stereotypical bullshit. Because while Mercedes ends up, you know, being a little bit more of a fully realized character as the series progresses, I still have a copy of the original script for the pilot episode. And it is stereotype after stereotype after, like every single one of her lines is so stereotypical and it's just like it's a critique that i've had for him for a very long time and so to see him get rid of the only african-american male in the club i'm like why why at least recruit people for writer's room that knows what the, that know what they're doing you obviously were able to figure it out for mercedes so why could you figure it out for anybody else it was just it was it was, it was annoying i'm just annoyed annoyed well i, I wonder like so you said that he stuck around at least to like get a sense as to what season two is looking like mm-hmm. so i wonder i wonder if it was also contributed by the fact that like mike chang had a larger role from the get-go when tina's like hey i'm with mike chang now from asian camp which made a whole like love triangle happen, and yes, even though that's a bit tokenized as well, it definitely made the actor feel like okay, well now at least like I'm not in the same club as Harry Shum Jr. He is somehow getting an upgrade in terms of character, and I'm not for some reason. Yeah, I would be interested to see if that's prob- that probably. I mean, it's just it seemed like he was getting left behind in the dust, and he just didn't want to be a part of it. So. It's, just, it's unfortunate, but I he mean, does, he does he does come back for the final song though. He does come back one last does, time. Yes, one last time. But yeah, take takeaways from this, uh, what we just listened to is that Finn and his final line here about how uh, he didn't have a father and he said he, you know, he didn't have somebody that he could look up to and model himself after to show him what it really is like to be a man. Um, and that's going to be a continuation between Finn and Will. Their storyline kind of started at the beginning of the season with Will spying on, uh, spying on him in the shower, listening to him sing. And that was uh, and then the whole planting, planting weed. drugs in his locker. <laughs> yeah. So that's how these two started off but they become so intertwined over the seasons as as we as i just said finn does not have a father figure he might uh eventually but i mean the one that he almost just had he kind of burned a little bit after the whole kurt situation so it all, all along it's been finn and will he goes to will with everything when he found out that quinn was pregnant and all this stuff so uh, i think that's the moment where it's like that's obviously finn's like one of the last people to talk here so this is like the emotional kind of punch that this one packs and then rachel comes in with you know we don't care what the judges say we won because we had you as a teacher so very emotional we go into two sir with love uh quinn is back at school even though she just had a baby five minutes ago (laughs) so they uh it's it this is also another number that is always stuck with me just because it is so it's so like heartfelt. It's like true yeah. colors, but like there's so much more emotion behind this one, mm-hmm. and they're singing specifically to Will, and it's touching. And it's well, the I last think- ensemble number from the original direction, New Directions. Like this, yeah. you never get this combination ever again. 
and I think mm-hmm. also it's very pertinent, and it pairs really nicely with My Life Would Suck Without You, which was obviously more, like, upbeat. Yeah, we did it. Thank you, Mr. Shu. And, like, here's a reminder of some of the dance moves we did over the course of the first 13 episodes, whereas this mm-hmm. obviously is a lot more down-tempo. There's more, like, gratitude behind it, though, and I think it's because they did lose that they feel more meaning behind it. Uh, I And, Matt, you just talking about Finn's line, not to go back too, too much, but I totally thought at first blush that he was talking about Burt Hummel for a second, and I was like, Okay, I like this, because anything Burt Hummel on the show, I will wholeheartedly throw my support behind. I will say one of the biggest surprises out of this show for me was how damn good of an actor Mike O'Malley, the host of Nickelodeon Guts, was. (laughs) Like, how incredible of a dramatic actor this man was. Like, honestly, blew me away. He is one of... Actually, you know what? Skipping all my answers. Burt Hummel... Is the one is my favorite character in the entirety of Glee because he's the only one who has like a damn sense about himself and like makes yeah. his way through all the the BS going on. Yeah, but this is a, a beautiful song and it's a perfect representation of how again this is about Will's story, even if it does have the kids involved to a certain extent, and to have them all sing to him. I'll be honest, I know that we have this final scene and you know Will singing back to the kids, but I would have been fine if this ended the season as well to just have it be like a smaller moment that just shows the kids showing gratitude to will but also showing like we're gonna move on from this even if it means that glee club's not happening i think the whole thing that we keep going back to is how this season is so much about will which i guess is why they're gonna end it with a will number and you know obviously we have to get more sue and will before we end up getting out of here so um i do agree with you um i'm just i guess not surprised uh right. because they were going so hard in the the will direction but so sue is gonna come into the choir room as will is clearing it out and here's where we get the conversation about the judging of it all. And Will is like, okay, like, look, sure, vocal adrenaline, they beat us. I get it. But how the hell did we lose to, to oral intensity? They did a mashup of magic and <laughs> freaking uh, uh, you, you raised raise me, me up. up. Like, what the hell? Like, how? 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 And Sue so was like, well, you know, I can't reveal what happened in terms of judging. That would be a blatant, you know, uh, whatever word she uses i'm like and you know that would be blatant and not all the other shit that you've been pulling fine but we do get to see her actually voting the new directions in first place in vocal adrenaline in last place um which means that all the other judges had to have put new directions in last in vocal adrenaline in first which is just such bullshit like even if they didn't like the new directions that much like they definitely won over oral intensity that's just ridiculous but fine (laughs) Yeah, Sue stumping for them at the uh, at the final tribal council of this all uh, <laughs> turned out to be a, a mess, yeah, and she, she, uh, it, she, it she lost did, them. She did the half Murphy, and it didn't necessarily work. And I guess well, it would have because you know that Olivia Newton John and Josh Groban again are so egotistical that of course they're good. They might do like you know oral intensity in there because they reference them. But I guess it comes down to Rod Remington, right? Like if he had put New Directions number one, that's real. That's the real linchpin vote, and he mm-hmm. just didn't deliver on it. No, he did not. He did not. But Sue, um, even though she's there to gloat mostly, she ultimately decides here that this has been a lot of fun for her, even in all of the chaos. This has been uh, having someone to sort of like have have a rivalry with um, and to fight against um, and to pretty much pester and annoy is a lot of fun. And what world would it be if she robbed herself of that enjoyment? 
Um, so she decided to go to Principal Figgins and blackmail him one more time uh, over their heated sexual congress. <laughs> to which Figgins is like, you know what? Fuck it. I don't care anymore. I will yeah. tell my wife myself. I will tell her my damn self. I will tell her everything. Like, I'm tired of being blackmailed by you. And she's like, okay, you know what? You're fine, fine. I will never mention this again if you can just give Glee Club one more year. And so what world are we living in? This is a crazy, <laughs> crazy, crazy ending. Like, yeah. Uh, sure. I, I t- like make Sue have one final good person moment at the end of this year. But the fact that it was like her marching into Figgins office and laying down the law and saying, you are going to give the Glee kids one more year after the entire season that we just had of her destroying them at every opportunity possible. Uh, it's just like, some things, obviously, a lot of things in the show don't make sense. This is like one of the biggest oh, well, things. Oh, and, oh, like... oh, yeah, this is a day Sue ex machina right here. Of like, yeah. She's going to be the one to come in. She has the most amount of power. And I feel for Figgins. I know that we understandably criticize Figgins here, but like, he must be so flummoxed where, like you said, Matt, this entire time she's like, we got to get rid of the Glee Club. And then she comes in, Glee Club gets one more year. You're like, what? Why? Where did this come from? I what guess we did forget to mention that Sue was watching the kids perform and she was clearly moved. She was crying as she watched them sing Sister with Love to Mr. Shu. So I guess if there was any kind of, um, if there was like any last reservations that she may have had about like wanting to bring the Glee, the Glee Club back, I mean, they already lost regional, so she, her mission was accomplished. But I guess that performance um, with all those kids crying was like the last thing to like push her over the edge to the good side. Um, so. Yeah. There it is, I guess. Yeah, and they have a little bit of a heart to heart here as uh after he gets the good news, he you know, they're kind of trying to not be nice to each other, but at the end of the day, Will is like thankful to her, obviously. He's like, you know, Sue, like inside you're a really good person. You have a heart. And she, he's like trying to shake her hand and she's uh she's getting annoyed because she just wants to get out of here without any physical contact of any kind. Uh and Will is just appreciative. He's saying, I appreciate what you did for these kids. I won't forget it. And Sue of course has to close out with and I'm seriously gonna puke in your mouth. <laughs> so the yeah. touching way to end off between these two. I mean it's it's a it's a baby step, right? Like she she wouldn't reveal the way that she voted because like even now like she wants she wants to live off of being an enemy to the glee club who is she without the glee club at this point so she doesn't want to like give her hand too too much i will also say like obviously this is the umpteenth sue poking fun at will's hair do you think they did matthew morris's hair like purposely (laughs) bouffanti this episode to really draw the eyes to it I would not be surprised if they like with every episode they just kept adding more gel, just more gel, more. You just more. keep yeah. teasing it out more and more because yeah, I mean it, it starts. It was at a pretty ridiculous length in this episode, from what I re- <laughs> usually remember from Will Schuster. Um, so Will is gonna uh, have the kids come back into the choir room and surprises them with the news that they are all getting another year, to which you know thunderous applause and cheering. Um, they can't believe it. Everybody is ecstatic. Uh, Rachel's going to go up and hug Mr. Shu, and then she's going to be like, you know what, guys, let's start rehearsing for next year's sectionals. <laughs> You know. let's, get the, let's get the cellist together. We need to rehearse. Choreography. Mike, Brittany, you guys got that. I'll, I'll get vocals. Blah, blah. Well, I was like, relax, relax, relax. Uh, okay. This is just peak Rachel here. Yeah, I mean, this also made me realize, random thought, uh, I feel bad that the jazz band was never brought in like the Glee Club huddles ups. You know, like I feel yeah, like there was a right? moment that like they're sort of just like set dressing. They lost like, two shit. Yeah, exactly. They, yeah, and Brad. And Brad. Exactly, exactly. Like, I, I wish that, and Brad's going to have a moment down the line, right, where he actually does speak at a certain point. But yes. I, I do feel bad that they were, like, like, if the Glee Club was indeed a team, that they were more like, I don't know, like, sports equipment that was just sort of assumed <laughs> to be in the room no matter what. They weren't really acknowledged as being part of the Glee Club. 
always just around, as Rachel puts it, with, uh, with Brad. But yeah, um, so it's, it's great. Will is going to tell them all to calm down um, and return the favor um, by singing a song for them with the help of Puck. Um, and he sings a little cute acoustic version of Somewhere Over the Rainbow. And, <laughs> and that concludes season one of Glee. <laughs> uh, and, I, yes. and I think, again, while I would have rather ended it to Tearser with Love, Matthew Morrison's a great performer. I love. I always love this version of Over the Rainbow. I am not going to try to pronounce the, the last name of the uh, Hawaiian artist who performed this cover, but it's just so placid and so well done. So it's a nice, like, mellow, happy way to end the season. So like Matt said, I could understand why they did it from a tonal perspective to be like, they're back on top, no matter what's going to happen. You know, uh, the rainbow's going to come out and take them from sepia tone into the color of Oz as to what's to come on Glee. <laughs> yeah, and we, we got to get, you know, at least one Matthew Morrison cover in here since this is so much for, for him or this is so much his his show as much as the kids at this point. So it is a great cover. He is, you know, some songs fit him a lot better than others. And by that, I mean, anytime he sings instead of raps, uh-huh. uh, that's, that's where we get the good Matthew Morrison Morrison songs, so this one's really good. Uh, every song in this episode, they're all great, uh, which is going to make this really hard as we get into the guessing our favorite songs part of this. But Aman, that's where I was talking about earlier. Uh, would you? It's I have such a hard time picking out my favorite song here, only because does Bohemian Rhapsody count? At, like when I think about Bohemian Rhapsody, do I just think about the vocal adrenaline performance or about the whole scene together with Quinn's pregnancy, like or Quinn's giving birth? I mean, I, that's interesting because like we always we always sort of judge the songs from uh, like an audible standpoint, like just yeah, you know, basic basically the vocals. But I mean, I, I I think that we would be remiss if we didn't include context upon further like, review. You know what I mean? Like Run Joey Run is such a big project, and like you think of that as like the whole thing. I feel like uh, in general, when I think about these songs, I think about it in terms of like what we saw on the show, like the presentation that was given to us. So that probably does factor into mine, and I'm giving away a whole lot. Well, just to do a little quick little run through, um, this episode included a mashup of Magic and You Raise Me Up, <laughs> sang by Oral Intensity, Faithfully. Any Way You Want It, mashed up with Love and Touch and Squeeze In, and Don't Stop Believing All, sang by The New Directions. Bohemian Rhapsody, sang by Jesse and Vocal Adrenaline. Two Sir With Love, sang by The New Directions. Over the Rainbow, sang by Will and Puck. And if I had to guess your favorite, Matt, I mean, I'm going to go with Faithfully, since that's the only song that you sort of, like, fanboyed over. What about what we just were talking about i mean the answer is bohemian rhapsody ha! so i'm confused all right mac why don't you go ahead and guess mics while i while i just you know lick my well i was gonna ask you to guess what my second favorite was because i thought bohemian rhapsody was so well, obvious you which would be faithfully, faithfully but then you were like <sighs> because i was trying to determine if bohemian rhapsody was allowed to be my favorite song oh which my it God. is um just because like as great as the performance is with Jesse St. James killing it on that, um, I'm like, do I allow the Quinn part of that to make it my favorite number? Because that is what makes it my favorite number. Otherwise, it would be faithfully. So it's tough. But Bohemian Rhapsody, just that overall, like I said, the, the presentation of that being one of the greatest things that I think Lee has ever done. Um, and that's with Bohemian Rhapsody going on. That's going to end up being my favorite. Faithfully is so good and it breaks my heart to not have it be picked as my favorite. So that is my one and two. Are we guessing, Mike, or is Mike just going to tell us? I think it's fun. Among, I think it's more fun to guess. 
Okay. Right, try well, to figure. So try you... to analyze me. What do you think was my favorite song? Hmm. I don't I... know much about your musical tastes. I would assume that we uh, meet in the middle in a lot of places. I mean, we both love Glee. We all love Glee here. So, I'm gonna guess it was "To Sir with Love." That... That's that's a good guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you think I'm on? Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. I'm just gonna. I'm. I'm not gonna make things complicated here. I think it's too sir with love as well. Oh, you should have made things complicated. That is incorrect. The correct answer, gentlemen, is Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> it's. I mean, it's a little bit cheating because Bohemian Rhapsody is my favorite song of all time, and Jonathan Groff does at least a replacement level job at it. So, like, I know it feels weird to ultimately say my favorite song in like this New Directions focused episode was the one that beat them. But at the same time, like I have to acknowledge when it's a well done Bohemian Rhapsody, yeah. and it really mm-hmm. is. Yeah, yeah, that's the exact same logic that I have, and I always feel bad again. Like I said, not picking faithfully, not picking the New Direction song. Um, like Bohemian Rhapsody is my favorite number from any competition in this entire season. Um, it's obviously so good, but Ooh, um, that's Amon, a great idea for another podcast. Write it down. That <laughs> might happen sometime soon, maybe. Um, so, Aman, your favorite number is going to be Magic. You raise me up. <laughs> Bitch, get the hell out of here. Okay, your favorite number. I mean, let's just go for the clean sweep of Bohemian Rhapsody. I mean, it's gotta be. They fucking won. Vocal Adrenaline won the damn competition. It's because (laughs) of that song. Like, it's so good. It's just so good. Like, Jonathan Groff, like, I will have your children. It's just, he was so good at it. Like, I just, I couldn't, and I'm not even, like, really that much of a Queen fan or uh, a Freddie Mercury fan, you know, if I if I won't, you know, catch Spears for saying that. Like, I, I don't dislike him. I'm just, you know, I don't, I didn't really grow up with Queen, so I just wasn't, you know, about it. But he turned me out, like, because I'm all, I'm all for Queen nowadays because of Glee. So, I mean, it's just, it, it, it's just so well done, and the choreography and the, and the, and the way that it was directed with alongside Quinn's delivery and everything. It's just, it's just iconic Glee. It was just so good. It's got to, it's got to be that one. All right, let's give out some slushy ratings. Mm, this is hard because I, I really enjoy this episode from start to finish. I don't know if I want to give it zero slushies, though, because of the clunkiness of a lot of this stuff. And yes, that's, a, that's going to be an ongoing theme for Glee, so you sort of have to grade on a, on, a, on a curve when it comes to that sort of thing. But I just feel like some of these things were just sort of like unforgivable. I just don't like the whole thing with Quinn's mom finally coming up to Quinn during her freaking... Uh, like, let the girl breathe. Like, let the girl at least have her moment with her team before you shatter her... Her any and shatter her like whole thing going on that she has going on like with with winning and, and singing with her team and everything and then you're talking about how you left her dad and it's just I just I didn't like that and I didn't like that we didn't really get any sort of like resolution in terms of the whole thing with which I guess this speaks to it to the season um, as a whole more but we didn't get any resolution with Finn and Kurt and that whole thing in this episode at all and. The whole thing with Shelby perfectly being waiting in the wings to to take that baby. I just, I, it was just, I feel like I have to give this 1.5 slushies. Because while it was very, very enjoyable, narratively speaking, it's still a bit of a mess for me. 1.5. All right. Mike, you, uh, you've listened to a couple episodes so far. You know the, the scale and how the scale works? Mm-hmm. This is 0 to 5 or 1 to 5? 0 to 5. 5 being it was a bad, terrible episode 
trash and zero being it was perfect you know what i make it i make it one sorry i make it one because Ah, now i'm thinking about bohemian rhapsody because that within itself is just like pouring it pouring out a little bit of slushy there in your cup (laughs) yeah Yeah. just one what i personally learned from from doing you know my own like episode ratings and this and the watch along podcast that i do is so totally what aman's saying of like you're going to make ratings early on, and then as it gets further down the line, you're going to be like, oh, man, I wish you could have rated that episode higher. Like, you're going to realize in the moment that maybe you're a bit too critical. You don't want to, like, overbless these early episodes. But that being said, I feel like this is the best the show can be, even if it is a bit of a step down from the first 13 episodes. And while, again, I will say that I probably give, uh, you know, the sectionals episode a straight zero... I think there is a lot of good stuff that happens in this episode. The good vastly outweighs the bad. Yeah, it might be a bit of a quick come together. It might not feature everybody, but the emotion is still there. It does really feel like a culmination of 22 episodes worth of stuff from a competitive perspective, maybe not from a character perspective. And it does bring things back to Will Schuster, who was the central character of this season the entire time. I liked yeah. a lot of stuff with the Sue character. I think it deepened her a little bit when at times, even in this first season, she was a little cartoony. Helped wrap up some of the storylines as well. And the performances were really, really fantastic all around. So I'm going to go with only half a slushy. Give me a point five. It's nearly perfect. There are a few quibbles with it, but I would say it's definitely a top-tier episode, especially compared with what's to come. <laughs> yes. True. Um, as, as anybody that has listened up until this point would know that uh, I did, or uh, we all gave out some zero star, I keep saying zero star, zero slushy ratings a couple episodes back, and when I look at that episode, um, spoiler alert to Mike, being uh, uh, two episodes ago, it was that was something that I just enjoyed from start to finish and while I did kind of feel the same way about this I didn't feel that like exact same like love and passion for this episode that I did for that one which is pulling me towards half a slushy um the only thing is that like this whole episode made me feel something like it had me feeling uh, as I've said to you Aman uh, on this podcast that I was crying for half the time uh (laughs) you know pulling that emotion out of me should be enough that I should be able to give it the zero slushies because I think it had its desired effect. But I don't know why I still feel like there's something missing. So I don't know. I, I don't know that I can give it the full zero uh, slushies. I'm going to stick with the half slushy here. All right. So All right. So let's move on to uh, our gold stars. Um, Mike, how about you go Mike. first? Yeah. Ooh, I go first. You know what? Maybe I'm speaking from a biased perspective, being a new parent myself. I'm going to give it to Quinn Fabray in this episode, uh, just in acknowledgement for what she had to go through between performing at regionals while heavily pregnant (laughs) and giving giving birth and being able to make such a physical recovery that she was able to not only walk around the next week, but also an emotional recovery that she was able to easily give away the baby to someone else who had ditched a baby previously in her life. Uh, and I will say that this is, you know, again, the best Quinn Fabray storyline we're going to have of her entire character, arguably speaking. I don't know how many gold stars she's actually gotten from you guys over the course of season one. So I'm, I'm going to throw her one here, personally. All right. Interesting. I... There's quite a few contenders because I, I did think about Quinn because of what she went through. You're going to give it to Sue. I thought about Sue as well because of what she ultimately ended up doing here. Ugh. Don't give it to Sue. <laughs> Why? Is that who you're giving it to? No, I just, we reward her so much for like 
halfway decent being, being a decent person. Not in the finale. Right. She, she set a low bar for herself in the but very no, first few star. episodes of the series. And so every time she clears it, even though it's just like a step over, you you could understandably be throwing yeah. your points. I mean, to be honest, I had already decided who I was going to give my gold star to halfway through the episode. But then they went and ruined it for me because of his behavior afterwards. Like, I was fully going to give it to Jesse St. James again because of that performance. But... What he did afterwards and gloating in their faces, just like, no, honey, no, I just can't, I can't get down with that. I kind of want to mix it up. I don't want to give it to Quinn because Mike did, but that might just be the best answer here. Um, you know what? I'm going to give it to Will. He's going to say Sue. Oh, he said, oh my God. Wow. Swerve at the last second. I'm going to give it to Will because ultimately it was him that did all of this for these kids. You know, like mm. he's went to bat for them the entire entire se- uh, season um sometimes a little bit too much i mean he had the entire <laughs> thing over his, oh, the entire club was at his house but he obviously cares so much for them and he is willing to uh yell at figgins and yell at sue and just you know put his own livelihood on the line um for these kids and he was able to sort of like pull them out of their funk and, and tell them like look like guys we work too hard and to inspire them. And like so many of them have made friends now, have crossed enemy lines, and had unlikely friendships and stuff, all because of him. So I, I feel like, yes, this season is about Will, and therefore I will give him the gold star to finish it out. All right. Well, Will went an entire season here without getting a single gold star, even though Wait, we really? talked about <gasps> yes, <laughs> even though we talked about this being Will's season. Yeah, Will did not season, get a but single. Everyone's getting acknowledged around him. <laughs> yes. So Will's going to come in on the final episode and get two gold stars. <laughs> I am also giving Will my gold star. All right. Um, I I had it planned before you said it. Don't even worry. I. Uh, was, I wasn't expecting you to say it, so I thought I was going to be giving him the only one. But no, this, this is good. I think uh, he is not go- going to get many uh, for, for, throughout the series. <laughs> I am surprised that he's even getting these. But Will, like exactly what you just said, uh, you just said it all, that through, throughout this entire se- season, he has been there for these kids. Mm-hmm. He's the reason that they are at regionals. He is the reason that all of this is happening, and they acknowledge that with To Sir With Love. Um, they've shown him a couple different times their appreciation for him so even while many of the things that he does are questionable along the way if sue sylvester can uh, accumulate her own handful of gold stars this season we can throw a will a couple for this entire whole thing being wrapped up and him uh you know a job well done and getting us to where we are so there's will with some stars to close out this season one of gold stars. And as mentioned, um, we are, I'm sure if anybody's listening to this, you already see that you have one more podcast in your feed as we will be coming back to you with a wrap up of the entire season. We will run back down through every gold star that was given out. We will run back through the slushy ratings, our favorite songs, maybe talk about some more songs that weren't our favorite of the episode, but that we want to touch on before we actually, you know, close out the season. So we will get all of that in very soon and you will have it already at your fingertips so hopefully you enjoy that and that's all i got yes thank everyone thank you everyone for ever for you know sticking with us this entire time and for continuing to stick with us uh, we hope that you have been enjoying it so far season one is season one is a very interesting season in that like for, for all the reasons that we mentioned at the beginning of the show so i feel like this podcast is only going to get even more quirky as the show does um, and the storyline starts to careen all over the place. Mike, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a yes, lot of fun. Yes, thank you, fun. Mike. We 
are so appreciative. You were a very, very busy podcasting man. So very happy we had time to uh, to, to make to have this happen with you. And I, I've always known that you were a Glee fan, but this is the first time that we've actually had to get a chance to like, talk about it in I depth. Know. So it was, it's, it's nice that we got to do this. The pleasure was all mine, guys, and I will always make time to talk about this crazy-ass show that I loved for six years, and definitely watching it back, thinking back to, like, where we were, you know, nearly ten years ago. It's it's absolutely bananas to think about, like, how much the show was a part of my life, whether it was, like, you know, something I would make fun of or something that I, I heart uh, – I said heart – overwhelmingly combining heartwarming with overwhelmingly, <laughs> but heartwarmingly embraced as something that I just thought was something that I had never seen um, before. And as saccharine as it may be sometimes, uh, I, I really love some of the, the stuff that it produced, at least from an oral intensity perspective. And what you, what you guys have been doing has been awesome. I commend the audacity of your scheduling. Uh, it's, it's, it's fantastic. And it gives people a lot to listen to, especially in a time where they might need a distraction they might need a will schuster singing somewhere over the rainbow to sort of remind them that there is something coming amongst the clouds and so i i love you both to pieces as people and podcasters so not only thank you for bringing me on to flap my gums about how much i enjoy the show <laughs> glee at times but also for creating this uh, you know for you guys work so well together and it's a show that you're both very clearly passionate about and we all have experience talking about shows i'm sure that we're not particularly passionate about and it shows in the way that you talk and the way that you guys speak about this, even if there are moments that you don't agree with, your pure love for all things Glee shines through any sort of darkness that might exist. So I commend you both one season down, five to go. Just trying to make me cry even more than I already have been all episode long. <laughs> Hit it, Puck! <laughs> I, Mike, thank you so much uh, for, for all those kind words. It's uh, very much appreciated. And, you know, the same goes to you for all of the uh, millions of podcasting hours that you've put in throughout my podcast listening career. Uh, so exact same sentiment uh, applies right back to you. Yes. And I know that Matt already said we'll pin to you in for the uh, the uh, season four episode with the puppets. But or is that season five? I don't even remember. But if you uh, if you if there's anything in season two or season three that you want to talk about. You are always welcome in this oh, choir thank room. You. Yeah, I, I will have to take a look. I would love to because there's some real interesting stuff in there. I could definitely, uh, I could definitely be your warblers expert if you're looking for someone who had experience in acapella because uh, that's that's when like I really was like became obsessed with the show oh, in a yes. different way. Was experiencing that, and yeah, I mean this. You have a lot of fun stuff to come on this show, so I'm excited to I both know, listen so and hopefully <laughs> participate here and there. Yes, Mike Warbler will definitely make an appearance <laughs> once the Warblers show up, which is pretty soon. So there's so much fun stuff to come. I can't wait. All right. Well, as always, um, thank you guys for listening. And you can reach out to us if you have anything that you would like for us to talk about or if you just want to just, you know, reach out to us and let us know how you're feeling about the show in general. Um, or just, you know, also flap your gums <laughs> or tweet your Twitter fingers. You can reach us on Twitter at uh, Choir Room Pod. You can also reach out to our email address at choirroompodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us individually on Twitter. I'm Adam on Adwin. Matt is at Matt Ligori. Mike, where, people, where can people find you? So you can find me at a Mike Bloom type where I do publicize the many, many things that I happen to be talking about and 
for some reason people might want to listen to it. Uh, but I do weekly podcast coverage of Survivor as well as uh, weekly writing coverage of Survivor. I do weekly podcast and writing coverage of Top Chef. As Matt mentioned before, I do a I do my own rewatch podcast of the show Lost with the great Josh Wiggler. Those podcasts go for like two and a half, three hours at a time. Uh, they are super intense, but some of the most fun I have podcasting. Otherwise, I'm doing other stuff. Uh, I cover Westworld on the Jay and Jack network. I'll occasionally cover some other stuff, like I was on a Kowski cast this past week covering Riverdale as well. Going to be doing some other fun Survivor stuff as well in the months to come as the actual Survivor content we're watching slowly shrinks away. So we'll see. We might have to get a Survivor Glee going at some point, guys, depending on how this podcast ends up running. Oh, yes. (laughs) That would be uh, an amalgamation of worlds. I would love that. (laughs) Yes. But all right, thank you so much once again, Mike. And thank you guys for listening. And I guess we will see you guys in season two. And yeah, woo, we made it. We did it. Yes. (laughs) 